This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hey, everybody. It's Andy Santanello. Welcome back to Practical for Your Practice. And today I'm excited to have Liz Polinski with us. Hey, Liz. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's um, nice to chat with you again. Yeah, same. I'm glad we're going to talk about this topic, too, because it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I know. That's why I asked you to be on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> and, yeah, and I say well. I say again, because, you know, Liz and I have, been, have actually known us, uh, known each other for a little while. And so um, I'm really excited she could come on the podcast. You might have recognized the name from a CDP presents that she had done with us, uh, I think, probably a year ago now. Was it, uh, maybe it was six February, months? February 2022. Got so. it. So like earlier in, in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we'll definitely put the link to that webinar in the in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but let's would you mind just sort of refreshing our listeners a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I am. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, and I am in private practice now and I work mostly with military and veteran couples. So, I work with other couples too, but my caseload tends to focus heavily on military and veteran couples. I also have a podcast um, called the Communicate and Connect podcast for military relationships. Um, Just a little bit of background. I come from a dual military family and I am a military spouse currently. And when I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, I was working for them when I met my husband. And then since now that we move around, (laughs) private practice is is better suited for me. Um, But when I was working at the VA, I was had veterans that I was doing individual therapy with. And some of them, of course, not all of them, but some of them, even though they had gone through really traumatic experiences, would talk to me about the things that were still difficult for them to get over were these really painful things that happened in their relationships while they mm-hmm. were in the military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that hearing that and knowing that um, military life also was part of the struggle for my own parents, their relationship decline. Um, I just really wanted to help military couples, hopefully be able to navigate military life and maybe prevent some of the things people were telling me about in my office. It seems like you've come to this work, not only from sort of your professional experience and interests, but this is really something that you connect with on a personal level too. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So then when, uh, so I left the VA, uh, was part of a group practice for a while, then went into solo practice, um, and got certified in emotionally focused couple therapy, which is what we're really going to talk a lot about today. And that 
think is also really important because currently, uh, at least according to the American Psychological Association, it's currently the only evidence-based treatment for couples that exists. There are, of course, other couples ther therapies and do they have benefit? Uh, you know, sure, yes, they do, but it still is um, often an access to care issue of do military couples and military families have access to evidence-based treatments for relationships? So. so maybe that's a good place for us to start for, uh, for our listeners who haven't heard of emotionally focused therapy. Can you just say a little bit about the model? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll give a broad overview and then I'll get more nitty gritty in it. Sounds perfect. <laughs> um, so in EFT, there are three stages to the treatment. The first stage is called de-escalation, where we're looking for symptom reduction. In the second stage, there are two, two specific change events that we're looking for in the couple dynamic. And that is where we're looking for the systemic change to happen in the couple relationship. And then to that is what then would prevent relapse. And then the third stage is sort of like, look how far you've come. How are you going to keep using all these skills? You know, like the, the sort of termination stage, go off and, and live your life. Um, it is a combination of theories. So the big one of the big theories is attachment theory. We're we're using attachment science to understand relationships and what goes wrong in couple relationships. And one of the primary goals and what we're doing when we have the stage two change events is we're creating a secure attachment bond in the couple relationship. So that is a primary component of our understanding for what is going on and what we're trying to do with couples. Then comes, how do we do it? So we use um, experiential theories for that. Um, so there's a little bit of, of Carl Rogers, but there's also a lot of Virginia Satir um, in how we go about working with couples to create this change. So there are different ways to talk about it and think about it. And if you ask someone else, they might use a different metaphor. On, or, you know, I might even use a different metaphor on a different day. But um, basically, our emotions get blocked. So emotions have a function in communication. And when we are having a lot of feelings of insecurity, people have learned to protect those feelings in some way. And so then they show their partner their coping skill instead of using their natural feelings to uh, communicate back and forth. And so the communication gets blocked and the flow of emotions gets blocked between the couple. So what we are helping couples do, we help them each get more in touch with their own emotional experience and then take risks to share about their emotions with each other. You could also think about this similarly to exposure. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sort of doing exposure to my own emotions um, and getting familiar and accepting my own emotions. And then um, doing exposures, taking risks to share my vulnerable feelings with my partner 
and helping couples be able to hold and stay with each other's vulnerable feelings together um, in order to create the new the new learning um, and then therefore the secure attachment bond. So it's um so the mechanism is emotional experiencing. So it's really the integration of those two theories. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about like wanting to get limbic revision. <laughs> so like in my nervous system that I've now uh, have a new experience where I'm not um, scared anymore to show you my deep feelings. So interesting the way you talked about it and what really kind of st- stood out is when you mentioned you know, partners will show their other partner, their coping skill. Mm -hmm. That's such a nice way of reframing unworkable behavior, you know, and it may not sound very much like a coping skill. I'm guessing it might be, you know, somebody saying something, you know, mean or off color or getting cold, but really framing it that way, um, really lends nicely, I think, to kind of what you said is sort of the next stage is, if you're willing to sort of experience what you're feeling yourself first, so you can know what it is that you're coping with and then express it to your partner, but having, you know, the therapist there to kind of guide that and make it a, you know, and maybe coach the partner and how they might want to receive it. You know, when the other partner's talking, I could see that really creating, um, was it limbic revision and opportunity yeah. for, yeah, because I mean, it could be, you know, I think about my own relationship. And, it, you know, it, it can be, and I'm sure you, you know this too from yours, it's really sometimes really difficult to talk about what you're actually feeling in a really direct way, because we all come from, you know, relationships and families where maybe, you know, that wasn't modeled really in an effective or helpful way, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. On, and that can be on multiple levels. So, right. Certainly, if I like on one on one extreme, if I come from a very um, a family where there was like a lot of abuse or a lot of neglect, that absolutely impacts how how close I can be to my own emotional experience and how safe I view it to share my emotions with somebody else. But even, um, you know, maybe on the on the other spectrum, you have people who grew up um, and they they developed a very secure attachment bond to their caregivers, and they have relatively um, secure romantic relationships. There are still um, maybe cultural differences between families in how do we express emotions and do we express emotions? Um, mm-hmm. I could I could still learn. I could still technically I think develop a secure attachment bond without learning so much to express emotions. I don't know. I'd have to, I would have to think on that a little bit. I might, I might revise my statement if I thought about it more, but um, my point, where am I going with this? I'm trying to say that even in a full spectrum of varying life experiences, this can still be challenging to be really vulnerable with my partner. And it's often harder for people to be really vulnerable with significant others, with the people who are significant and who matter to them. One of the things you had mentioned in there is cultural differences and I'm mindful of military culture and maybe some of the, 
a sort of norms around expressing emotion. And I was kind of curious to hear if in your work with military couples, if there are kind of, you know, common presentations that you see or common issues that tend to come up, maybe in comparison, but maybe unique to military couples versus civilian couples. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're bringing that up. I do feel like sometimes I'm trying to undo a little bit of the (laughs) acculturation process that happens for Mm -hmm. service members um, at not broadly speaking, but just in terms of their relationship that they, they don't have to be super vulnerable with everybody. (laughs) They can keep their emotions close to their chest, uh, except for their spouse. Um, but yes, I think, you know, um, most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be probably very familiar with working, uh, with military people. Um, and the military does draw people who have more masculine traits and it also promotes more masculine traits. Um, and in a combat situation or um, another sort of danger situation that the military might face, it is useful, useful and often adaptive to um, be in a logical frame of mind keep my emotions, um, dampered, uh, and to just be focused on functioning, what has to happen. Um, that does not work so great in a marriage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so oftentimes I am trying to help people reaccess their emotions to be able to have the communication flow in the marriage. And I would mean the couple. And I would think, you know, that part of it, even just accessing and making room for one's emotions, given what you just said, even internally before it's expressed, could be pretty challenging. Have you in your work sometimes noticed that service members might have even like difficulty acknowledging and noticing their emotions? Yes. Yeah. So we use um We use Arnold's model of emotions, which has, um, there are uh, components to emotional experiencing. So I have my, you know, basically my action tendency, the behavior that I do, they, uh, service members are usually pretty good at being able to say, yeah, I do this. (laughs) We've got a element of emotion. Um, The meaning that I'm making about the situation. So they're usually pretty able to give me their thoughts. Um, We have the physiological sensation and my initial, um, I forget what it's called at the moment. I think it's called like a limbic response of either safety or danger. and then, of, and then, of course, the, the cue in the environment that allows for my emotion to come up. So the part that service members, um, you know, if I'm doing a really broad streak, of course, not everyone fits into this category. But the, the common part that they struggle more with is the f- noticing and being comfortable with physiological sensations and naming of emotions, but they can usually tell me a lot about their thoughts and their behaviors. And that 
we use that as a starting point to help them organize their emotions and what's happening on the inside and to even be able to communicate. Even if they can say like, um, I'm trying to think what would be a common, <laughs> would be a common scenario. So um, let's say that the service member is the one who is, is not sharing as much about their emotional experiences. The civilian spouse typically wants a lot more communication to feel close and to feel emotionally close and like there's engagement. Um, so they might ask a lot of questions. They might sort of push. It can start to feel like nagging or complaining or criticism. Uh, even if the service member is able to say, you know, I really, I really don't like that. Like already there is a little bit more of an engagement between the couple versus just keeping a thought to themselves or walking away, which is what happens frequently. Right. So like that would be the coping skill, the walking away or, but even just saying something like, you know, I don't, I don't like it when you do that, that would be a, a sign to you that maybe things were moving in the right direction. Yeah, eventually we want them to get much deeper that um, like when when you do that, I um, end up feeling like whatever I do isn't good enough for you. And then I worry that I'm not actually accepted. Um, That would be a much deeper version and a common feeling for somebody in this scenario. How would you go about shaping that response like going from I don't like it when you do that to <laughs> to what you just said and okay, and, I'm, yeah. I, and you know I can sort like I can sort of think about how I might do something like that in individual therapy and, mm-hmm. and you know so I, I'm just kind of curious how you might do that in a couples therapy session or like over the course of couples therapy so in stage one Um, in stage one, we're doing a lot of organizing emotions and linking emotions and getting people to be more reflective about their own emotional experience and then just practice sharing with no, no expectation of a response. Um, and in that process to also really take responsibility for their ways of coping in the relationship. Um, So it could be uh, in early stage one, it might be, um, I don't like it when you ask me all of these questions. Uh, It makes me uncomfortable. And that's why I walk away. And that would be the initial thing. We've got three elements of emotion there. Um, uh, It feels uncomfortable. I don't like it. (laughs) And I walk away. (laughs) Those very, very... um, kind of surface level, but we still have those three. If they're sharing that with their partner, they're already doing something different than they what they typically do. And then over time, you, I would say, well, tell me more about this uncomfortable feeling. And each session, we're just trying to go deeper and deeper into the world of emotions um, until they can start 
recognizing that there is um, uh, some sort of attachment fear. And this can vary between individuals and between couples, the different variations of this. But um, maybe it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm worried that you, I'll never truly be accepted for who I am in this relationship. Or I'm, um, uh, and, and then because I'm not accepted, if I don't do a good enough job, you'll leave me. These are sort of our attachment fears um, or an example of attachment fears that could come up in, in the scenario that we're talking about. Um, so then the work of stage two is getting people to really be comfortable um, feeling those feelings when they come up and being able to take the emotional risk of sharing about those fears um, as they come up in the relationship. And then when I, when somebody can be comfortable and it be accepted and supported and well-received by the partner. So if I can, let me, let me back up. So if I can say, uh, you know, just now when you got frustrated, I got worried that um, you, I wasn't doing a good enough job. And that makes me scared that you might leave me mm-hmm. if I'm not doing a good enough job in this relationship. When, if I can say that to my partner and my partner can receive it, then that is that completely changes. That's part of the limbic revision, the exposure of I did this and it went well, and we can handle talking about these things. Um, And then the final step of stage two is having partners um, risk asking for what they need. This this gets um, a little fuzzy because often when people come in to therapy, they'll be saying, well, I need this from you and I need this from you. you. That's not the real need. Um, It might be a stage two need that isn't like that Uh, might be, you know, I need reassurance that you're not leaving Uh, or uh, I, I need to know that I'm accepted even if I make mistakes or I don't get it just right. Something like that. Which, yeah, that sounds to me like a whole lot different than the needs that might be expressed in an intake, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, when, when you're talking about um, different types of attachment and some of the emotions related to so the, those attachment fears, I wonder how much direct teaching or psychoeducation there is in EFT. Are, are you are you helping couples to sort of conceptualize these sort of maybe deeper emotional issues, or is that something that you kind of shape and just people kind of spontaneously discover from themselves, or a combination of those two things? Yeah, we in EFT we would want um, bottom up psychoeducation. So in the moment that I'm experiencing, mm-hmm. I can weave in education into that moment to, to help sort of consolidate um, and frame it. But I'm not, I'm not so much um, 
being teachery. So like if they come into the session, I'm not saying so couples have these attachment mm-hmm. styles mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. do this and you have a fear. <laughs> like, okay. So, All right. So. Yeah. So, so like organically when it comes up, mm-hmm. you might sort of opportunistically throw in some language, give some, um, you know, words to sort of structure and shape what people are saying versus doing like a didactic Yes. Here, take this worksheet and look at the different types of attachment fears and which one is yours. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Very sort of organic and experiential. Very. Yeah. That was the biggest thing for me to learn switching from, um, you know, switching from individual to couple therapy. There were so many dynamics in couples relationships and like ethical binds and things that I had to learn. But in terms of the theory, moving from like a CBT frame um, into the goal is, is change through experience in an ex in, in this moment, I experience it in the session being um, yeah, it was a big switch, but absolutely. And, you know, for, for a lot of our listeners who are maybe doing more individual therapy, I'm guessing they might be sort of thinking about that, especially if they're more uh, used to doing more protocol based therapies like CPT and PE that are, you know, sort of very psychoeducation heavy, you know, tell clients the model. So they sort of buy in first. And if you can give a good rationale, then they'll be more likely to do the treatment. And I mean, certainly there are experiential elements in traditional CBT. And I see what you're saying. This sounds, it feels like it would be a bit different. And, and actually, so since we're talking about individual therapy and couples therapy, one of the things I was really curious to ask you um, is about working with individuals in individual therapy who maybe one of their primary presenting issues are couples or relational issues. And I have so many questions about it, but I guess maybe the first one I have for you is if, if you are working with somebody in individual therapy and they're having relational issues, when is individual therapy appropriate to kind of deal with those things in, in the sense that it's going to be, you know, useful? And when, what, what do you think is sort of a good criterion to keep in mind when maybe couples therapy might be the better medium, mm-hmm. better approach? Mm, good. Very good. Did questions. I stump you? <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking about that because, um, I would always, as a couples therapist, I would always want to work with the couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes when people end up in individual therapy, it's because the partner, one of the partners isn't willing to go to couples therapy yeah. just yet. From a um, from a systems theory standpoint, even if I can help the individual start start doing this process of being aware of how they engage in the relationship, where that is stemming from emotionally, and start changing um, how they're communicating about their emotions and what they do with their emotions, that will will, um, should based on the theory, help create change in the couple relationship. Um, the, the problem is, is I can only go so far if my other partner is not also, um, 
learning about their own inner world and taking risks to share. Um, so pros and cons, it can absolutely still be beneficial and it can also help um, reframe what is happening in the couple dynamic. Uh, oftentimes, oftentimes um, individual therapists who haven't um, done a lot of training in couple or family work will often send the message to the individual that they should leave the relationship, that their mm -hmm. partner is a bad partner, that they deserve better, that they must not be valuing themselves to stay in this relationship, things like that. Um, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that is often the message that gets given on an individual level. Um, from an attachment theory, we would say that Anything that's happening makes sense through an attachment lens, whether a partner is having emotional outbursts or is really critical, um, even verging on like emotional abuse and verbal abuse in big fights. Um, these things would make complete sense at an attachment level. Um, and so trying not to. Um, sort of pathologize and make the partner who's not in therapy the bad person is, I think, a really important part for individual therapists working with somebody who is concerned about their relationship. Which is, of course, the trickiest part because you don't have enough, that that human being is not in front of you. And all you really have is the highly curated version that is then sort of creating an image in your head of based on what the client is saying. So it's interesting because like when you were talking about sort of the EFT model and, and the phases, it makes total sense to me what you're saying now. And it, because in EFT, it sounds very much like there's teaching both partners to communicate, but also to listen and to listen mm -hmm. in a certain way. And so, you know, maybe if you did a really good job in individual therapy, you could, do that with one partner, but then if the other partner doesn't have the sort of ear, so to speak, to listen to and receive the message, you're not going to get maybe as far as you would get with doing the, this type of work in, in, in a couples therapy scenario. Yeah, I, that's where, yes, I think it still can be really beneficial. It can still help, help things in the couple relationship. Um, but then, yeah, it just feels very limited on how far or how deep um, you could go on just based on individual counseling. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's so interesting because I think that even, even just having this conversation with you and hopefully our listeners, um, you know, uh, are, are, are thinking about couples work a little bit differently and, and more maybe just in terms of working with people in individual therapy, you know, a lot of therapists might not even think to refer for a couple therapy, you know, especially if they're working with somebody in their core presenting issue has to do with their relationship. One other question about that, and I, I'm mindful of the time because I've, mm -hmm. I've kept you talking for a really long time. <laughs> so maybe we'll get to actionable intel okay. in just a minute. But, but one more question I had for you about that is, um, you know, so if you were working with, uh, with a couple 
and they also were in individual therapy. How much sort of coordination with individual therapist would you be looking for as useful? Does it work for you to have folks who are doing both at the same time? Uh, or is it better to do one at a time, do you think? Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong to that. Yeah, I sure. think um, there, if the couple is willing to do couples counseling, I would I would rather work with both of them than have one person trying to make relationship changes on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but individual counseling can be really, really helpful um, either simultaneously or, um, or, or like in a period of time. Let me, let me go back and rephrase how I want to like, what I mean by that is, um, maybe if I have somebody with unrecognized PTSD and has never gotten any treatment, I will likely only get them through stage one in couples therapy. And then we might want to pause, have them do trauma treatment and come back to continue through the rest of the stages of couple therapy. Same thing with um, substance use. Um, There are some things that I, I can't get to stage two or finish stage two if there is really significant untreated mental health. Um, That being said, most things like um, depression, anxiety um, can be worked on simultaneously. And I can work with the mental health issue in the couple relationship And it can still be helpful for that individual to also work in individual therapy. I'm thinking, um, especially if something is really ingrained, like a, uh, like maybe they, um, you know what, I'm not doing a good job of thinking of an example right now, but. Well, I think, I mean, I'm going to jump in there and just say, I, I like your answer because. For a number of reasons. One is, I think the the main kind of theme is it depends and it could work Mm -hmm. really well under certain circumstances and with certain presentations and then others, it may not work well, well, simultaneously, maybe a staggering, you know, sequential way to go is the way to, you know, kind of approach it. So what I think I hear you saying is it's really important to, to know your clients and their needs and to be flexible about, uh, you know, coordinating their care and working with other professionals. Yeah, that's a good summary. Thank you. (laughs) The one, um, if I could add one thing. Yes. When someone is working individually to, for them to have in mind the goals of the couple therapy. Um, so often individual therapy is about, I'm going to cope on my own with what's going on on the inside. I need to learn to deal with my feelings. But in what our goals are for the couple therapy, I want you to actually go to your partner as the coping skill. Um, The new coping is a relational style of coping versus an individual style. That's a huge distinction. And that, yeah, I think that would be really important when you're working with somebody to help them to see that difference, you know, Mm -hmm. because yeah, absolutely. 
in individual therapy, our focus will would be on developing that person's ability to cope. I mean, we might suggest they get support from others, but it, specifically what you're shaping, it sounds like an EFT is that relational coping. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, so um, I wanted to ask you if, you know, our listeners were interested in learning more about EFT. Uh, do you have any you know, a couple of pieces of actionable intel, things that our listeners could do maybe in the next 24 to 48 hours to start moving in that direction? Yeah, so um, ICEFT, it's the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy. That is the place to start. They have a lot of information on their website. And um, that is also where you could get training in EFT, the first step is something called an EFT externship, which is a four-day training in EFT. Um, And that would be the place to start for anyone interested in learning more about EFT and how to provide it. Uh, They also have a um, a therapist directory on the ICEFT website. So if you were, you know, you're an individual therapist, you're not going to work with couples and you want to send... Like, who do we, who do you refer to? Mm-hmm. There is, um, it's an international directory um, on their website for people. And they'll explain people who are at various levels in their training of EFT. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that would, if, if you didn't say that last one, I was going to add a little piece of, of actionable intelligence, get, get to be friendly with some couple of therapists if uh, if you're yeah. working with service members and veterans, because likely you're going to have a, a military couple who could probably benefit, you know, from, from working with a couple of therapists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that too. Well, Liz, it was so great to talk with you. Thanks for coming on practical part for your practice. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we'll put some of those other links and resources that you mentioned available in our show notes. Um, but uh, this was so great. I really appreciate you um, giving us a little bit of information about EFT. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.